0: 1 Thessalonians, there we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll get there. If this is how it's starting, I'm just going to apologize now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you and our prayers, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, of your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that you were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. God, we ask tonight as we look to Your Word that we would just have clarity as we uh, make our way through these verses. God, we are thankful for the writings of Paul to this church. Again, this was a good church who was excited to uh, have partaken in the gospel. It was a good church who was living passionately um, a gospel lifestyle as they Faced much affliction as they faced turmoil, as they faced trials. God, they, they continued to press on. And I pray tonight um, that we would move forward in our lives in the same way, with the same desire uh, to make you known in everything that we face. God, we ask that you'd be with us now. May you use it for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you take notes, the title of, that I've given it, I title it just so I can find it again in my computer, um, is a gospel example. Gospel example last week we looked at lasting or the the overall title of the book is Lasting Hope. and we saw that Paul was writing to this good church with Silas and Timothy as uh, they had been removed from this place, and Timothy went and brought report back to paul and paul 's heart was overjoyed as he saw how God was continue, continuing to work in that place and he wrote this letter to encourage them uh, to continue on in the, the things that God had for them, and he prayed for grace and peace to be upon their lives. And then we started looking into verse number two there, uh, that was his prayer. And he he started off by saying he gave thanks to them. But as we think about this church, one one of the things that I think we'll notice tonight is Paul emphasizes this idea that they were an example to the believers. The way that they lived their lives, the faith that they had was sounding forth, he says in the King James. And what that really means is it's echoing abroad, right? Like people are hearing from all different parts of the world how strong your faith in Christ is, and the change that the gospel made in your life. And so, as I was thinking about this portion of the letter, and I was thinking about um, what was going on here, and, and the call on our lives as believers, the, a gospel example just came to my mind. And I want us to ask ourselves as we go through this are, are we a gospel example? Can people look at our lives and say, man, you have changed? I was talking to somebody earlier tonight about that very thing, that I, I want Northside. My desire is that Northside would be a church that when people look at it, they, they look at us as individuals and say, man, what is different about you? And what is the difference? It's Jesus. And so people from all walks of life, people who struggle with different things, they, they look to us, and this is what was happening there, and they say something like, I want what you have. You have something inside of you that is so different than what the world is offering, and I want to experience that. And that's what was going on here, and that should be our desire for our lives as well. As Paul's writing to Timothy, he tells him uh, at, towards the end of his life, end of Paul's life, he says, be thou an example of the believers. Those words that were written to a young man were impactful, don't you think? That as Timothy heard those words or read those words from Paul that he said, man, I want to live that out. I want, I want to be an example to the believers. But how would Timothy know how to be an example? Oh, certainly he understood how to be an example from examining the life of Paul, Right? As he traveled with Paul throughout the different journeys that they had together, as they saw, he saw Paul face difficult things, Um, he saw Paul was real all the time. He was a genuine believer. He was a genuine convert of the gospel, and his life was drastically different than it had ever been before. He saw peace and joy in Paul, and that was an example for Timothy to follow. And so he learned from Paul. But it wasn't just Paul that was an example for Timothy. Who was it that Timothy even learned about the faith to begin with? from his mother and his grandmother lois and eunice if we had two more girls those would have been their names probably not (laughs) lois and eunice right his his mom and grandmother were examples of the faith that when he thought back on his childhood he could think of these two faithful women who were pouring into him the truth of the gospel the truth of who jesus was they were pouring into him uh, these ideas and teachings and doctrines and theological beliefs about one true God and His Son, Jesus, who came into the world to, to be the, the ransom for sinners. We could say that, that certainly Paul was an example in teaching Timothy how to be an example. His mother and grandmother, they were an example in teaching Timothy how to be an example. But as we read this letter, who else was an example to Timothy? This church, the church of the Thessalonians. That as Paul is referencing this church. He's speaking so highly of them that Timothy had to take notice. He had to say, hey, what is going on in that place? It's exactly what was going on in my, my mom and my grandma. It's exactly what was going on in Paul as I've traveled with him, and that's how I want to live my life. And as much as we should be a place where the lost world looks in and says, hey, I want what you have, shouldn't we also strive To be an example for the believers who are coming up behind us that they would look at us and say hey i believe but i want to believe like they believe i want to have the gospel transform my life like the gospel transformed their lives and so this church is a gospel example and as we see paul writing to them certainly it was it was because they were thriving in the midst of trials they were persevering with great joy in their hearts they were they were facing hard things but the hard things didn't get them down. It it almost seemed to fuel their fire even more to propel them on to greater things uh, as they followed uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and as they continued to spread the truth of the gospel. So the title, again, is A Gospel Example, and we're going to walk through these verses and see uh, just what that looked like concerning the church at Thessalonica Thessalonica, and see how we can learn from it as well. I want to hit verse 2 just briefly again. Paul says, uh, in verse number two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. As we have said, or we said last week, this is Paul Paul's first prayer for this church in this book. And really, he's giving thanks. And honestly, that's much of what the letter is. It's Paul giving thanks to God on behalf of the, the church at Thessalonica for their faithfulness, for the, the change that God had brought about in them. And Paul is going to list the things in reality that he's thankful for, as we go through this text. And Kelly Smith brought up a good point last week. Sorry, Kelly, I'm taking it. It's all mine now. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you know, when you're telling somebody you're praying for them, it's a good thing to to mention the thing you're praying about and to ask about that thing, right? To, to bring it up again. Why? Because it shows that you have a genuine investment. If we all just walk around saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, it's like, actually, this happened to me one time. I told a guy I was praying for him and his wife, and he was dead serious, his response was, why? What'd you hear? I'm like, I didn't hear anything. I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. And uh, sometimes we can think that. But if we can be specific when we tell people we're praying for them and what we're praying about, I think it goes the extra mile. And that's what Paul does here. He, he doesn't just say, I'm praying for you. He says, I'm giving thanks for you as I make mention of you in my prayers. And these are the things why. These are the things that have caused me to give thanks for you, this church that I only got to spend three or four weeks with, this church that that I I wished I could have spent more time with you, but I had to get forced out of town because people were going to kill me. These are the things that I'm thankful for in your life. In verse number three, he he goes on to tell us. He says, as I give thanks to you in my prayers, mentioning you in my prayers, I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the sight of God our Father. Are those warm and endearing words? Paul says, as I think about you, I think about your work of faith, your your labor of love, your patient hope that you have, have received from the Lord Jesus Christ that you live in in the sight of God. Well, what was their work of faith? What was their labor of love? And how were they patient in hope? I think all of these things in reality simply point to the steady lives that these believers were living in the face of conflict. They were faithfully working, they were faithfully loving, and they were faithfully being patient with great hope in their hearts, understanding that this world was not the end. There was something better waiting for them. One commentator put it this way, therefore their faith produced work, as is the nature of true faith. Their love produced labor. There are two different Greek words, for labor the first one laboring in unpleasant hard things um, and the other one laboring in pleasant things and then he says their hope produced patience which is long-suffering endurance needed to not only survive hard times but to triumph through them and as we think about this church we don't know all the things that they were facing but it seems that whatever they were facing they faced it with the right attitude And doesn't attitude make a difference? Doesn't perspective make your attitude change? That when you think through things in the right way, you're able to move forward in the right way? When you understand that these things are not the end of you, though you wish they could be the end of you at times, there's something better waiting on the other side. And Paul says, as you have labored, as you have waited, as you have worked, God has been producing these, these works in you that are genuine proof that you are indeed true believers, and I am thankful for you that you're an example to the believers in these things. Anybody have any thoughts on verses two and three as we think about Paul's prayer, as we think about him giving thanks for these people, and even about the things that they were facing in their lives? yeah 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 i I think that's a great point um he wasn't just saying you know you guys i'm so proud of you you made it to church when it got below freezing (laughs) It's, it's such a sacrifice you know you worked so hard you started the car a little early um you guys i'm so proud of you you went to the church they didn't even have padded chairs like I can't imagine going to church without padded chairs. No, these people were facing real things, like like probably death threats. Probably their families were disowning them. Probably a loss of job. Um, probably even the rights that were theirs in the society that they lived in were being stripped away from them because, of, because they named Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar. Like, these are real things. These are hard things. And Paul says... I'm giving thanks because in all of these hard things, you have endured. And it's not just that you've endured like, like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, like, here we go again, another day to be a Christian. Like, they're rejoicing that they get to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And I think that's the difference, right? I think a lot of us are willing to suffer. I think if it came to that point, we would be willing to suffer. But would we suffer joyfully? Would we suffer with the attitude of like, praise God, I get to go through this thing so that the name of Christ can be made known in this place? Is that not the attitude of Paul through the New Testament? That he was, he was thankful that he was counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ? And I think those are, those are compelling things to think about because it really does cause us to examine our own lives. Anybody else? Any thoughts? on? Yes, Annie. That's Okay. <laughs> Mm. And if they're having problems, they tell them I'll pray for them specifically if they have a problem. Yeah. And, and then I said, You know, our church has some really good prayer warriors mm. and they're always grateful. Yeah. And they remember and they say, oh, thank you for praying for me, we got better. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to spread it around. It absolutely is. Yeah, to let people know that that you care enough about them to take them to a God who cares even more about them, right? It's, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I was reading earlier this week, and somebody had asked, I think it was Spurgeon, they asked him what was the secret to his ministry. And he said, the people of my church pray for me. The people of my church pray for me. And, you know, we, this is, I'm following Annie right off topic. But uh, this is Paul's prayer, so we're not too far off topic. But I think there is power in prayer, and I, I think as these people heard that Paul is praying for them in their trials. Well, what did they know about Paul? That he had also faced great trials, right? They weren't alone. The, the, the one praying for them had also faced very severe things for his own faith. And so would this have compelled them to continue on? It certainly would have because there was, a, there was a brotherhood in the suffering. They weren't suffering because of sin, but they were suffering because of sinners, if that makes sense. They weren't suffering because they had sin in their own lives, they were suffering because there was unbelievers living around them who did not like the gospel change that was being lived out in their lives. And Paul praises them for that. You're going to say something, Eddie? Well, he was a perfect example because he led by example with all his persecution and yeah. stuff and he was showing the attitude we was supposed to have. Yeah. That was a perfect example for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. They followed and they followed well. Anybody else? Thoughts on verses 2 and 3? Rebecca. Rebecca. Sure.
1: <laughs> like, but like, and I, but like some, one of the people that was with me, that was sitting there at my table that knew me, they were like, you're passionate about your religion, say that. And that was, it took me by surprise, yeah. because in my
0: brain, I don't consider it passion, I sure. consider it my, like, my your, your whole life, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But to the outside looking in,
0: they see this as passion. Yeah.
1: Is in the smallest ways becomes so important yeah. to the outside people that don't understand how. For me, I'm just like I'm not doing the greatest. But right.
0: Yeah, there, there was a, Paul was revealing here that he was keeping tabs on them, right? And he was going to push them in the right direction in the areas that they had, had uh, begun to slack in. He was going to praise them for the areas they were doing well in. Kelly, you had something? I, I find it interesting that whatever their work of faith and their labor of love and the patience that they uh, exhibited, Paul said he's going to remember it for that Yeah, it not no. I like that thought as well. To to piggyback on that, you know, he says he's he's making mention of these things, but he's also revealing that that God is seeing these things, right? Like God is aware of the things that you're going through, and that alone brings comfort. To know that hey, Paul recognizes that we're facing a battle and it's it's nice to be acknowledged sometimes when you're in the middle of a trial, right? To I don't like the word, but to be affirmed, so to speak, that, hey, you're, you're fighting a good fight in the middle of this thing, keep it up. And it's not just that I see it, but your Father in heaven sees it. And And if I'm proud of you, how much more proud is your Father in heaven? And I think that's a, a great point. Anybody else? Any thoughts? You were slow to get going, now I can't stop you. All right, moving on, in verse number four. So he talks about, he gives thanks about them, gives thanks for these specific things. And then in verse four, I, I just titled the verse proof positive. He says, knowing brethren beloved, your election of God. What is Paul saying? He says, as I, as I look at you, as I see the way that you're living, as I see the way that you're serving, um, as I see the way that you're, you're, you're thriving in the midst of these things, he says, this is proving to me that you are God's children, that you have been chosen by God, that you are a part of the family of God. And this is this is encouraging, Paul says, because the, the way that you're living is proving that what you're saying is actually true, not just externally, but internally. It's, it's that your lives are matching up with what the Bible says your lives should look like. You're looking like your father. Um, somebody texted me after the service. It was uh, uh, Ivan, and uh, he, was, he mentioned Noah on the Cajon, just said he did a good job on the Cajon. He said, but you're fortunate those kids are still looking like their mother. And I said, yeah, whatever. Whatever. And, uh, you know, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, you, you, you as children are looking like your father. You're revealing that this is a real change that has happened in you. You're proving that you're saved. And as we think about this, as we think about what Paul is saying here, I wonder if Paul was to write about us, like what would prove that we were saved? Because we know salvation is an internal work from God. We know that the, the whole idea of election and, and the, the idea of, of God drawing us to Himself, th- those things begin in the mind and heart of God. And as He produces that work in us, as we surrender to Him in salvation, what then is the transformation that is flowing out of our lives that proves to the world that we are something different, somebody different? If somebody was, if we stopped right now and said, everybody pair up, and everyone would hate this, and you had to pair up with somebody and they had to tell you why they knew you were a believer, what would they say? If you went to work tomorrow and you talked to your co-workers who were not saved and you said, hey, I want you to tell me why, why I'm a believer. Well, first of all, they might not even know what that means. But what's different about me? What's different about What would they say? Would there be enough evidence in us or coming out of us rather to prove that we are indeed children of God, that we're beloved brethren, um, that, that we are uh, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I was talking to Judy after the service today, and she said, I was reading through Acts this week. She said, and it just struck me, she said, I know this, but it just struck me that Paul is my brother, that, that Moses is my brother, and that one day, like, I know this is true, I've known this is true, but one day I'm going to get to see them. And that's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty cool that there is such a brotherhood in the Christian faith that we are all children of God together, but families typically resemble each other, right? And so how are we showing resemblance to those who have gone before us as they lived out their faith? Paul is listing those things here for them. Any thoughts on verses 3 and 4? Yeah, we definitely we're going to party with them heaven, <laughs> fellowship and yep. forever. It'll be a sweet time. Yes. Anybody at all? Yeah. And that's what kind of what is said in um Matthew chapter seven, you know, a good tree bring a forth good fruit, but a tree bring forth bad fruit. And you know, if we're saved, we should be bringing forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he he's active, right? And if he's active then we should be changing. Um and we just can't resist that change. I like like those thoughts. Anybody else? Patsy.
1: Yeah. someone from the school came up and gave me a hug the other day and said
0: you're my hero hmm. yeah. Whoa. yeah yeah <laughs> I had no idea that they were even had yeah the, the cancer trip. yeah no I, I was thinking about that this week as we met with leadership we talked just a little bit about the things going on in the church and I, I was it was Friday I was just spending some time thinking about it and you know the, the world has a lot of heroes and truly there's only one hero, right, Jesus? But there's a lot of people in this place that I look up to as examples and heroes, people that have have just resiliently lived out their faith through deep trials. And I think that's intentional, right? God, God allows these things to come into our lives to strengthen us. If we would be fools to say, well, all sickness is outside of God's control, he doesn't control any of that, so we'll just ignore it. Or we would be fools to say all sickness is because of personal sin, right, that God is dealing with them. How many of us have heard sermons like that before? We all have. What if, what if God allows sickness to come into somebody's lives for good, that He takes you through the trial to, to go back and say what the apostles said, that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name? And that's just not at the hands of angry men. I think that suffering can be anything, that we're worthy to go through a trial so that the name of Christ can be made known. I shared this several, several months ago, but listening to a Paul David Tripp podcast, and, and that was something that, that he prayed in his life, God, make me worthy of suffering. Those are hard words to pray genuinely, but what is the fruit of suffering? the gospel takes root, the gospel changes things, people see Christ in you. Um, hard, hard things to pray, hard things to think about, but that's what Paul is praising them for here, uh, that they persevered, that they pressed on, and that they allowed God to use their suffering so that they were an example to the rest of the believers in that area uh, in the day that they live, but also in the day that we live. Um, we'll continue on. Verse number five, he says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul, Paul says, when, when we came in preaching, you know how we came. The gospel came to you and we brought it in, in words, but it wasn't in word only. The gospel also came in power. What was the power that they saw? Well, they saw the transformation in Paul's life, but what, is, what other power did they see? The, the transformations that God was making even in their own lives. Have you ever stopped and thought to yourself, like, man, I used to struggle with that thing, but the gospel has changed me. The gospel has has reworked me to become somebody that I didn't even know I was, was capable of being, and truthfully in ourselves, we weren't, but with the gospel, we were. So the gospel came not only in word, but in power. The gospel came in the Holy Ghost, and it came in much assurance. What does this all mean? That, that as Paul and Silas and Timothy, as they made their way to Thessalonica, as they preached the truth of the gospel, they came believing that lives were going to be changed for the sake of the gospel. How many of us would say we're guilty of sharing the gospel with somebody while, not, while, while believing that it's actually not going to make a difference in their lives? I'll share the gospel with you, but I don't, I don't think they're going to believe it. And we would never say it in like a, they can't believe. I don't think we would say that. But we, we go in in fear saying, man, I don't, I don't know if they're going to believe or not. What did Paul go in saying? This place is going to get changed for the gospel. This place is going to get tipped over, upside down. Things are going to get shaken up in the power of the gospel. Why? Because that's what Paul's God did. And guess what? That's what our God does. So the, the gospel came to them in word. It came to them in power. It came to them in the Holy Ghost. It came to them in assurance. And, and he says, you, you know how we were when we came in unto you? We were just men. We were simple men. But the gospel was a glorious message that had the power to change your life. And, and that's the gospel that had been transforming them. And so I, I wonder, as we think about the power of God that Paul walked in, and the power of God that this church was living in, is that the power of the gospel that, that we still walk in day in and day out? This, this power, word for power is dunamis, which it means power to perform or might or ability. Um, and and it's, it's talking about like a, a, an explosive power, so to speak. Some people say it's where we get our word dynamite from. There's a lot of debate on that, so I'm not even going to make that claim. But it's an explosive power. Like it's this, this unbelievable work that you step back and say, how did that happen? Well, in Paul's instance, it happened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, this is how we came in unto you. Any thoughts on verse number five? What you're saying right there, see, that's not of us, it's not of this world. It's yeah. From heaven. It's divine, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And it baffles a lot. Yeah. It does. The supernatural and the.
1: Even if you believe and you pray, and you, you really do believe, and then when God does, it, wow!
0: Yeah, yeah, we we walk away surprised. <laughs> Somebody else, any thoughts on Annie? Yeah, Maybe specifically Holy Ghost and seeing Yeah, I, I think there are certainly uh, miracles alluded to there in the, in the power and in the Holy Ghost. I think Paul is saying that the, the transformational power of the gospel was put on display. And we believe that as Paul walked the earth, he, he was able to do miraculous things, right? He, he, the apostles could do things that we can't do today. And all that was pointing to the validity of the message that they preached. And so even, even, you know, the Holy Ghost there is a reference to the idea of who it was that was working in them before Paul even arrived. Um, There was somebody who was doing a gospel work in them, who was making them aware of their their needs as sinners, so that when Paul preached the gospel, what does it say back in Acts 17, that many believed, that they believed instantaneously because something was already working inside of them to draw them to that place where they were ready and and willing to believe. So that's a good thought. Anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Paul, as he went from place to place, that as he was on the road, do you think he just casually walked into the next city? Or do you think as they were walking, it was like, God, give us victory in Thessalonica. As we go to the synagogue and as we preach from the scriptures, how Jesus had to have come and died and suffered and risen again. God, give us favor amongst these people through the power of your Spirit. I guarantee he prayed those prayers. Why? Because he understood that salvation was a work of God, not a work of men. And he's pointing to that again here. Anybody else? Verse 5. All right, moving on to verse 6. And he says, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. If we stopped, at the beginning of that verse, and said, and ye became followers of us. That's where we get cults, right? But who who was Paul following? He was following the Lord. As ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received not just our word, but having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. Paul says, "When, when we came into you, the fields were already ripe unto harvest. As we came into you it, it, all, all we did was open our mouths, and God began just slaying people with the sword of the spirit and salvation. So they were falling on their knees, repenting. Paul says the the transformation was incredible, and he says as as you follow us, you're in reality also following the Lord. It's just like it's like Bartimaeus that we saw last week, right? He got saved, and what happened? He followed Jesus. It it wasn't like this. This lapse in time, we're like, okay, you prayed the prayer. Now you really get to figure out if you want to do it. And then, you know, three to six months, we'll expect to see some fruit coming out of your life. No. They heard the gospel. They believed. They followed. He heard the gospel. Bartimaeus, he believed. He followed. It was instantaneous. And Paul is, again, praising them in that as they were walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And he says, You became followers of us and of the Lord. And how were they followers of Paul and of the Lord? They received the word in much affliction. Did the gospel bring affliction to the life of Jesus? He died on a cross, friends. Absolutely it did. Did the gospel bring affliction to the disciples? Most of them died horrific deaths that we can't even imagine. The gospel brings affliction. And, And we should... It's, it's hard in, in the world that we live in, in Christianity, in America, we have again made, made our belief in the gospel about us. What did Paul make his belief in the gospel about? Jesus. And he was willing to go to great lengths to suffer horrendous things for the sake of the name of Christ. And so Paul, Paul is basically saying, hey, I just want you to know that you're in good company because you're following us, you're following the Lord, and we, we all have gone through great affliction because of our belief in the gospel, and now you're facing those things as well. But how did they go through that affliction? With joy of the Holy Ghost. Was it them saying, bring the suffering, we love the suffering? No, I think that as they went through the suffering, they were like, man, we got a reason to suffer. <laughs> we got a reason to suffer with joy. We got a reason to have hope in the midst of this trial because this life is not the end. And so again, he, he's, he's putting them on parade, so to speak, saying, you guys are, are examples. You're, you're living in such a way that is a beautiful testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you follow us and as you follow Jesus, you're going to face affliction and trial and hardship, but you're already going through it with great joy. Basically, at this point, he's saying, don't let up. I, Caroline texts me every so often and she'll she'll, I'll use her because she's not here, she'll send me this great text about like, oh, they say I might have brain cancer now, but I'm still praising Jesus. And my response to her, because I have nothing else to say, is just keep looking up. Why? Because it's not me that's the source of her hope and joy, and it's not this church that's the source of her hope and joy. It's Christ. And so if, if she can keep going through this, looking up, even if it is brain cancer and it takes her life, how, how do you think she would want to go out at this point praising Jesus? Why? Because she wants to be an example, and she has been an example, as have many others in our church family as they've faced things. And Paul is basically saying to them here, hey, just keep looking up. Just keep looking up. When you, when you start to get down, just look up. When you start to lose hope, just, just take heart and look up because you know this isn't the end. Uh, just look up and go through your, your trials with great joy, not man-made joy. Joy of what? The Holy Ghost. And he who is in us is much greater than he that is outside of us. He who is walking with us in these trials is much stronger and has much more ability than the enemy who would seek to destroy us. Jesus would, would affirm these statements in John fifteen eighteen. He says, if the world hate you, he doesn't say, I feel really bad for you. He said, if the world hate you, just know they hated me first. You're in good company. He says, these things in John sixteen thirty three. these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Oh, that sounds nice. Oh, just know that in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Take hope, take heart, look up, have, have joy, have faith. And just keep pressing on. Any thoughts on verse number 6? I agree. (laughs) All right, verses 7 and 8. Continuing on, it says, you've gone through your trials in this way, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believed in Macedonia and in Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. Paul says, you're examples. He tells Timothy to be an example. He tells these people they are examples. Timothy was young, and Paul's saying, hey, There's going to be a lot of people that criticize you. Be an example. Live for Christ. Be an example, Timothy. He encourages Timothy to strive to be something, but when he speaks to the church at Thessalonica, he says, you already are something. You're an example. Continue in that. You're you're an example to, to all those that believe, not to the unbelievers, you're an example to the believers, those who are young in the faith, or or maybe they've been believers for a long time, but they haven't matured. Thessalonica, you're an example to those people. For from you, from this, this little place, this place that was known for, for many wicked things, for from you, this core group of people that believed the gospel and saw the transformation of the Spirit working out of them uh, in their lives on a daily basis, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not, not just in Macedonia, in Achaia, but in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad. And you know what he says next? So that when we go in these places and we try to say a good word about Thessalonica, they're like, nope, we've already heard of it. We've already heard of that church, that church that, that had such a transformation, those people that were living so wickedly that now are living for the gospel and the gospel alone. We don't even have to say anything. In fact, church at Thessalonica, people are telling us about you without knowing that we already have a relationship. It's like they walk into a new city, and they're like, hey, have you heard about the church at Thessalonica? Like, God is doing miraculous things there, and Paul's thinking, man, I was going to tell you guys that. They're being talked about, but it's not gossip. They're being talked about, and it's, it's because of the that explosive power of God, right? That, that work of God that had changed their lives, that had caused people to, to turn from things they once held to and cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. They, they were an example to other people. Uh, their faith was sounding forth. I like that, don't you? Their, their faith was, was being broadcast. The Word of the Lord was being broadcast. The truth of the Lord was being broadcast, and this church was being used as an example to the rest of the believers in that region in that day. And I'd say that's a pretty good testimony to have. Paul didn't write that to them to, to say, man, guys, you are something special. He wrote that to them to encourage them. Why? Because they were facing really hard things. And in the midst of their hardship, he wanted to come alongside and put his arm around them and say, guys, keep it up. Like, you're facing it here, but God is using your testimony to change the world. You're you're going through it like true trials, deep waters. But people around this region they can't stop talking about the power of the gospel and how it's changed your lives. And I don't know about you, but I think we should all desire that. Not so that people say, "Look at Northside," but so they say, "Look at the God Northside serves." That that he is doing incredible things there, uh, and it's it's beyond. Human explanation. Any thoughts on verses 7 and 8? Eddie? If look at north side, I see the, the God's Spirit going out. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what they should be feeling and seeing. Absolutely. Yep. Things that man can't do, right? The spirit of God Absolutely. Need to see. Yep. Go, wow. It's good. <laughs> Somebody else? Any thoughts? All right. We'll keep moving on. You guys just want to see if I. We'll run out of material again. I get it now. Not running out tonight. Don't worry. Verse 9, as he talks about the, the power of the gospel, as they were followers of Christ, as they were examples to those around them, he says in verse 9, For they themselves show us uh, what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier But there was a marked difference in the church at Thessalonica that when people saw them, they could say, that's what they used to be, but that's not who they are anymore. They used to serve idols. They used to take part in idol worship in the temples. They used to maybe even profit off idol worship. They used to invest their lives in (laughs) idol worship. But they have turned from idols to the living God. And if, if you get that picture in your mind, turning from one thing to another, what word comes to your mind? Repentance. He's putting, they're, they're putting on display what repentance actually looks like. You're turning from idols to the living God. Now, in their day, idols were, were indeed carved statues, right? Named idols that they would carry, that they would have, that they would hold, that they would go to, that they would pay tribute to. Um we don't we don't live in that culture, at least most of us don't, um, where where carved idols are still a thing, but isn't it true that that there were idols in our lives before Christ that we had to turn from? And who would you say the biggest idol was? Ourself. Self. We had to turn from self to God. And self, you know, that that's a broad thing because, we're we're all prone to to be drawn to different things so our idols would would vary one-on-one and who would admit that since you've turned from idols to the living god that there has been a pull in your life at times to turn back to that idol i'll admit it anybody else why because we we still struggle with sin it's romans 7 paul's paul's battle with the flesh and the spirit um Yet yeah, he says to them, hey, the marked difference in you is that you turned and you never turned back. You turn from idols to the living God, and everybody's talking about it. Everybody sees it. Everybody's aware of it. They're they're broadcasting these sayings that, that you've turned from idols, not just to the living God, but to what? To serve the living God. They were serving idols. Now they're serving the living God. And I think again unfortunately the gospel has been has been maybe misused at times to say oh just turn to Jesus just turn to Jesus you don't have to worry about anything else but where did Jesus ever say that just turn to me and then you know just continue in the life that you're living but just just keep maybe you can have a lazy eye or something keep one eye on me and one eye straight ahead I don't know it's it's a turn and serve thing it's a turn and, and give yourself to. They were giving themselves to idols, now they're giving themselves to serve the true and living God. And I think that's the marked difference, and that goes back to verse number three. What was the proof that they were serving? Well, their, their uh, work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope. There was, there was proof that a change had actually been made, not just that they turn from the idols, but they turn to the living God, and now they're serving Him, and their, their belief is actually seen in their works. And isn't that James' argument? Show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. You, you say you believe, that's great, but there's got to be some proof there for, for us to actually see that belief is happening, and that's what is taking place in the church in Thessalonica. And so I would ask us again, where, where in our lives is there a difference? You say, well, I was saved, As a kid, and praise God that you were saved as a kid, but kids are pretty selfish, right? Like if if you still live in the selfishness of a child, then then maybe that's the area that God is saying, hey, that's the idol you serve, selfishness, selfishness. Um, So where's the difference in our lives that people could point to to say that we've turned from this thing to that thing? A lot of people also, this is, I think, a good verse for this, say, well, I'd, I'd, I would just be more fulfilled if I could stop doing this. Well, if you stop doing something, it's automatically going to get filled with something else, right? Amen. So you've got to be intentional in what you're turning to. It's not just, I'm going to turn from idols and try to live like a Christian. No, you've got to turn from idols to God, and then God brings the transformation out of your life so that others in the world can see that it's a true transformation. Any other thoughts on verse 9? All right. Verse number 10. Turn from idols to the living God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So they've turned from idols. They've turned to the living God. And what's the title of our series? Lasting Hope and what does he say next? And to wait. I hate waiting. I absolutely hate waiting. Anderson's going with me as I go to Texas to do that funeral, and we bought the ticket like a week and a half ago, and we did not tell Anderson. Why? Because he is a horrible waiter. We told him Friday night finally, and you know what his response was? "Ah, You should have told me Sunday why cuz he knows he's a horrible waiter right like he just does not do well and so we told him friday night we we're like don't tell your your sisters and your brother yet like just don't make a big deal over it we just want you to know so you can be getting ready in your mind cuz he also is the type of kid that takes a while to get ready in his mind well we're sitting downstairs watching tv and he's like so what do you guys think the weather is in Texas? Like, Anderson, stop! Like, Why is it always warmer in Texas? It's like, he's not a good waiter at all. And what's Paul tell them to do here? Wait, wait, wait. What are they waiting on? What are they waiting for? Jesus. What, what is the hope that they have in the midst of their affliction and trial and suffering? If it's just getting out of the trial, then waiting in the trial doesn't seem very appealing. But if at the end of the waiting there's something much greater, then the waiting will always be worth it. And what is the waiting? It's hard. It's, it's a tri- trial from day to day to wait patiently, to, to serve faithfully, to love unconditionally, to... to, to to stay turned from idols to the living God, to live so that your life can be used an example as an example of the change the gospel has made. They sound like simple things, but they're hard things. And then you pile on top of that true affliction. How many people have thrown in the towel at that point and said, it's not worth it. I'll, I'll, I'll find another way. And what does he say? Wait patiently. Wait for his son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What were they banking everything on? The idea that Jesus actually paid the penalty for their sins. He doesn't say wait for Him to come and deliver you. He speaks in the past tense. He has delivered you. And since He has delivered you, and if He has delivered you, wait with hope. Wait with patient endurance that hey, whatever this world throws at me, in the end it's okay because I have Jesus. Whatever, whatever they say about me, whatever I lose as a right or a privilege or, or whatever my family does to me, I'm going to wait patiently because Jesus is coming. And that's what and Thessalonians are really pointing to, this fact that Jesus is coming again. And so while he's applauding them in the waiting how well they're waiting, how well they're working, he comes alongside them with this letter, puts his arm around and says, keep it up, keep it up. And sometimes it's just nice to hear the word of encouragement, hey, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Sometimes it's nice to have somebody just come alongside you and say, hey, I've noticed your faith, keep it up. Not because we're coming with an authority, looking down our nose and saying, hey, if you keep it up, you're gonna be like me one day. But you know who I like to encourage? The people who are further along than me. Why? Because it gives me an example to follow in this life. As I look to the people whose faith is stronger than me, to say, hey, thank you for your genuine faith. Because when I struggle, I have somebody on this earth to look to that is also waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, and they're waiting with great hope in their hearts. And that's what Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is all about waiting with hope. Any thoughts on verse number 10? As we close tonight, I, I would just ask you, in your life, are you waiting with joy? <laughs> some of us in the room are, are waiting on some pretty, pretty hard things. Are you waiting with joy? Are you waiting with joy that even if the thing that you're waiting for in this earth doesn't come true... That you're still going to have joy because Jesus is coming back. Are you waiting with joy? Secondly, are you an example in your trials? Everybody in this room has trials. They may not be as big as somebody else's, but we all have trials. And in your trial, are you an example? Are we leading others to Christ in the way that we're walking? Are we pointing others to Christ and how we handle the things that we're going through? Some heavy questions. Not hard to grasp, right? It's not complex words strung together to make a difficult sentence, but they're truths that that are worthy of our meditation. Because as Paul is writing this letter, these are the things that he's saying about them. (laughs) You're doing a good job. Keep it up. And I would look to our church family tonight and say, you're doing a good job keep it up. You ever been to church and you just leave feeling beat up? (laughs) Man, I'm I'm struggling here. I'm failing here. Um, You're doing a good job. Keep it up. People are taking notice. Keep it up. Keep Jesus in front of you. Keep looking up, and who knows what he'll do with your life. We made it to 701. Let's close in prayer, and we'll let you go. God, we do thank you we thank you that you love us, first off, that, that though we don't deserve your love, God, you have faithfully shown us your love, not only in Christ, though that was the biggest display, God, you've shown us your love in so many other ways. And I pray tonight that as we think through this letter, and maybe, God, we would go home and even read these verses again and truly meditate on them, I, I pray that we would seek to have these things be true in us. God, this life is cruel and this life is hard and this life is unfair and there's injustice and there's things that that our minds just can't even comprehend. And God, as we go through these things, I pray that, that we would simply wait with hope for the coming of Christ. And as we think about the prize that is on the other side of seeing Jesus face to face, God, may we... Because of that, run our race with joy. May we strive to be an example, even if it's just to those in our church. Nobody else may never know our name. But God, may we strive to be an example even for those in our church, that that when we go on, that, that we would have that testimony that's seen in the Scriptures, that He being dead yet speaketh. That our hearts would be so in tune with You, God, that That we would be willing to embrace the suffering, not for suffering's sake, but so that your name would be known through our lives. God, help us tonight to be a gospel example. May we think on these things as we go into a world that is lost and dark and broken and searching. God, may you use us to point others to your son Jesus, the one who changed our lives. We thank you again. In Christ's name we pray.